Hiya, I'm Alex Johnson and welcome to the Yellow Rugby Podcast, your home of golf rugby. My aim of the show is to provide a weekly podcast that looks at all the rugby taking place here in the region. Please like, share and subscribe and you can find Yalla on most social media channels out there. Right, tell me who would be your dream dinner guest. Ooh, dream dinner guest, probably a guy called Cornelius Vanderbilt. Um, okay. I'm sure a lot of people would know who Vanderbilt is from the Vanderbilt universities in America and stuff, but he was basically the pioneer of of transport he built the first big ferry systems the first big train systems in america at one point his net worth was 20 percent of the american gdp like he's the original gangster of of leaders and built grand central station like hand designed it he's an incredible person that probably would be the guy that i'd like to go to dinner with yeah, um, called him the yeah. commodore favorite subject in school I was did pretty good at geography. Did school, didn't yeah, yeah, I did go to school. <laughs> I, I, depends who you ask. Um, I uh, I was pretty good at geography. I was pretty good at history. I think geography was probably my favourite, but that's because they're teacher. But the thing I was best at was probably maths. But yeah. Uh, who is or was your hero? Wow, hero! Big question. Um, I think my old man, my dad, just giving, only ever giving for his family playing sport till like high level sport till he was 40. Um, he's still the fittest 70 odd year old person walking around Dubai. He frequently walks from Basha to my house to come for a lunch, like eight K's in the middle of summer. He's, he's a, he's an impressive really? human and, <laughs> and still, still consults on global companies and stuff. Like he's, he's yeah. just an inspiration actually. Favorite takeout? Pizza. Oasis or Blur? Blur, song two guaranteed. That was a that was a smasher that. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Right, that was it for the quick fire round. Right. Matt Bourne, welcome to the podcast. Um for those that are completely new to rugby here in the UAE, tell us a little bit about what the RCC is all about. The RCC was kind of born out of need. Um we went through a stage of having the management and structure of 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 or arrangement of fixtures and all that scheduling and all that type of stuff being done by the UAE Rugby Federation. But it was disjointed, it was complicated, and it wasn't working very effectively for the clubs. So we then decided that perhaps what we should do is get a agent to do it for us. And Emirates, through their the Sevens, created an, a sub-entity called Gulf uh, Rugby Management, um, GRM, and they did it. And we agreed to it as a bunch of clubs and paid them incredibly high fees to do that. And, <coughs> excuse me, at the end of, um, I think it was 2018 season, we came to the conclusion that we were paying them too much money to do stuff that we could actually do ourselves if we just coordinated between the clubs. So it started as an idea sprung between a few clubs in some back rooms and in a bar and then it built up until eventually we actually put a whole pitch together and put it to UAE Rugby because GRM said that they weren't going to renew their contract and we were already com- like complaining about the fees that GRM were charging and we put it to UAE Rugby. UAE Rugby agreed to do it and effectively it's a, a collaboration between all the clubs in the UAE. If you're a, an affiliated club of the UAE 
you're a member of the RCC automatically, and it's RCC stands for Rugby Club Consortium, um, and we operate within the UAE's UAE RF's um, trade license, if you want to call it that, within their remit to manage rugby in the UAE. Um, we've got a full contract with them in terms of what our like specifications are in terms of what we manage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's basically a collaboration between the clubs. And so within the RCC, the structure of it is such that we've got the head of the RCC, who's Rocco, um, who used to be with LA and Amblers before moving to Dubai. The new vice head of the RCC and, and uh, Minion Youth chairman is Peter Clapp, who's also chairman of Dubai Hurricanes. Um, and then we've got our working group, which is a seven-club representative group that's supposed to be the like slightly more efficient decision-making people, and it represents every single aspect of rugby here, Minion Youth, Women's Division Two, Division One, Premiership, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's like a fair representation group of all of that. And then we've got the master group, which is every single rugby club has a say in it. And you know, if we have to have a vote on something, or if we want to decide if we're going to add, like this year we added under sixteen girls contact, went to a club vote. And obviously, a club like Barrel House who doesn't have an under sixteen girls contact, we don't have a vote in that type of competition. But you know, it's it's very democratic. It's very um, cohesive. It's very collaborative, and it works well. Um, there has been small teething problems, but the beauty is is that our agreement has always been: once you come into an RCC meeting, it's club badges at the door, and it's only about rugby. How do we make rugby better? How do we make our system more efficient? How do we cater to more people? How do we get more people playing rugby? How do we make it safe? All those type of things. Less what's good for my club, but more what's good for rugby. And has, um, that, has that worked? Has that happened when people... It's all well and good saying that. And have people been doing that? Or has that been a bit of a, a learning curve as well for people to actually be able to do that? I think in the beginning when we started it, there, there was a little bit of assumption that people would be doing that. And then through time and experience and proof of practice, people actually see that, you know, like the graph that people are putting into RCC is not just for their club or for their benefit. It's actually for genuinely for rugby purpose. And we have narrowed it down to what I like to say, less, less, um, less talk is more doers. And the working group comprises of people who have the time. And, you know, all of this is, is, is volunteered time. There's no, there's no um, paid positions. There's no remuneration. There's no discount on your fees for being involved in all of this. Every single person here is giving of their time. So, to have people of the level of expertise that we do have involved in it gives us an advantage. But at the same time, we have to, you know, be understanding that guys travel for work, people have family commitments, you know, all these types of things make for complication, but it's a team effort. And much like when you're on the rugby field, it's not one person who wins a rugby game. It requires 15 guys to all push forward. What, in, in terms of rugby, what does the RCC not do where UAE Rugby Federation would do? So UAE Rugby would be dealing with all the international stuff. So obviously all the senior men's competition, the women internationals, 15s and 7s, also the junior, now the under-18 national teams and that type of stuff. That's all UAE Rugby and RCC's got no say in that. But every single other league or competition that happens in the UAE or in, and including parts of Doha and Bahrain in that, it goes through us. We manage all of it from 
under nines, well, actually from even younger, from under sixes, where the, the the registration process of that all the way up to, you know, the super vets now, um, we, we cover everything. And in terms of numbers, how has that gone in the in the last, I mean, I know we've had COVID and that absolutely knocked everything flat on the head, but where are the numbers in rugby? Are we going up? Are we going down? Are we plateauing? Oh, no, we've de- since obviously COVID knocked everything down and there was quite a slow comeback. We were obviously one of the only countries in the year of, of 2020 to actually have any rugby whatsoever, even though it was our version, which AP designed. It worked and we had some rugby. But, but since then, I would like the way this year is going and based on the registrations I'm seeing at clubs and hearing the numbers of many youth and senior players are turning up, I reckon this this will be the biggest year that we've had. Yeah, it's amazing. That's just what you want. Yeah, and and it's you know we've got teams like like Hurricanes who who were saying that they might only have two senior men's teams now suddenly going look we've had so many guys turn up we're definitely having three teams. Tigers have got potentially four men's teams. Like the Tigers have got two under eighteen boys teams. Like we're talking numbers that people used to say weren't possible are now happening. And there used to be this huge drop-off that happened where under 14 would be under 14 boys specifically would be oversubscribed. There would be teams in every single club, multiple teams, et cetera, et cetera. And then under 16 boys would be gone. And that was kids, you know, going to their boarding schools or going to finish their schooling overseas, et cetera, et cetera. And parents after COVID have realized actually device schools are good. The facilities are good. The teachers are good. The, 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 Probably the closeness of, of, of teacher to student is higher than it is in other countries. So it's worth staying here. And for parents who had experienced, you know, a bit of separation from children or family during COVID, that's a very real memory that they don't want to accept. So the rate of, of stay is much higher now than it's ever been. So that's why we've got such good numbers in under 16 and under 18 happening. And even more so now is because we've got good numbers of under 18, we're We've got so many under-18 players playing up into senior rugby, getting a taste of playing in open rugby, which we barely had before. So that's been quite an awesome thing. Like I, I was so impressed last year with the, like some of the youngsters playing for Exiles and Hurricanes. And they come on the field and they star players. Like they're unreal. They're natural talents. And that's what we need. We need to keep those guys in that greatest picture and I'm sure that most of them are going to try and go to university elsewhere in the world because that's the natural aspiration but there's a lot of people nowadays who think university is not necessarily necessary so they end up staying here and starting their first gigs and getting their jobs and they're already into a rugby club they've already got a a community of um, businessmen who looking to employ young keen people so it's it's kind of like a natural community that's occurred and, and developed out of it which I think is quite awesome yeah, I mean, it could be the stars of tomorrow, like bringing the UAE national team forward. Yeah, it yeah, 100%, you know. We're competing to qualify for the World Cup. Well, that's, that's after talking to AP, that's kind of his um, his aspiration, you know. Like, they won the, the, the championship, the Division One championship last year, or this year, rather, in, in Pakistan, which now puts them up into the Premier Competition competition in West Asia, I mean in Asia, which if they win means that they, they're in the, the running for a World Cup berth, which when you see the World Cup now, 
when you see the teams like Uruguay and Namibia and these guys who are just fronting up and showing up and showing that like rugby, the gap is not as big as it used to be. And it, if you're in the top 20, you can win games. Like it's, it's an unbelievable thing. So to get UAE there, be epic. I think that would be surely, I know that's the national goal, but like as a rugby community, surely that should be all of our goals is to see, is to like, yeah, if you go to one of the fan zones now, it's all very well the number of Springbok or English or, or Kiwi jerseys that you see walking around, but you never see a UAE jersey. But if we had UAE get players, them anywhere, <laughs> try. But I'm if trying. We had, if we had, if we had UAE play, if we had UAE in the World Cup, man, the whole oh, the whole of the UAE, incredible. you would know about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, which which has got to be a long term aspiration of ours. Yeah. No, we need yeah. we need to even have the option to support. Like fair enough, UAE aren't in the World Cup, but we are a nation that plays rugby. We should be wearing the UAE jersey. All right. Well, I'll we? I'll make that commitment, and when Apollo hears this this podcast, probably you'll know that my WhatsApp's coming pretty much straight after <laughs> it to say, uh, "Hey, mate, let's get your uh, jerseys up on the website so that we can buy some." I'm, like I will back the UAE. The UAE has given my family everything. I'm oh, 28 cool. years here. Like, like it's 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 my home. I'm golden visa holder. I'm committed to this place probably far longer than my wife wants me to say. Um, so it's it's like I want to support the UAE in more than just being here. You know, I'd very be, be very proud to wear their jersey. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Um, so with the RCC, how? Like what are the future plans, the the immediate future, as in the next season and maybe the year year after that? What what's in the pipeline? So 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 for me, the RCC is a is a combination of of, of stakeholders and people who are in charge of um um like running rugby and taking control of it and pushing it forward. Um, we have to look at it more holistically. Just what your club needs, um, and um, you. We have to look at what we're offering as a. We have to, we have to be catering for anyone. Basically, if you ask me what's what what's the RCC plans, which would be my personal plan, which I assume the RCC follows, is the. We need to cater for every single age group of person who wants to play rugby. So if you're a a 16-year-old girl who's never played rugby before and you've seen it on TV and it looks like a fun, healthy team sport that you want to be a part of, you should be able to come in, start with touch rugby and then progress to contact rugby or stay with touch rugby and then go into open touch rugby. Or if you're an under-six kid who wants to just learn rugby from the basics, you should be able to do that. Or like the Super Vets are now going to cater to, if you're an over-45 player who used to play, misses the contact, misses the crack after a game, then we should be able to cater to you. Like as the stakeholders in the sport, it's very important that our product offering is good. We don't want to pigeonhole ourselves so that, you know, we're telling people, oh, look, well, if you're not 21, you're not playing in our open league. Or if you're, if you're too old, we don't care about you and that type of stuff. We have to cater to these guys because that's the that's the lifeblood of our sport is to have people actually playing. And the vested interest that you have when you're a player is completely different to when you're not. And it doesn't matter which version you're playing. As long as you're playing some version, you care about it. That's part of the reason football is so successful is because 
there's a hundred different versions of football that's played throughout the world, whether it's PIG against the wall with just your brother, or if it's, you know, a full 11 a side match or five a side in the street or whatever it is, it's played everywhere. And then when the world cup comes on, everyone's played football. So they look at it. That's what we need to be pushing in rugby. We need to have every single person playing it in some way or the other. So that when the rugby world cup comes on and you see the incredible attack that Uruguay puts on, you can appreciate it and understand it from a player's perspective. And you're just like, God, like this is epic. This is what I want to be a part of. This is what I want to support. This community represents more of what I am than other sports do. And, <clears throat> you know, rugby's got such a good ethos of the structure of the game is that if you're tall, there's a place for you. If you're fat, there's a place for you. If you're skinny and small, there's a place for you. If you're short, if you're fast, if you... It doesn't matter what you are, where you are, rugby's got a spot for you. If you don't want to play contact, there's touch. Or if you're only good at contact, there's, there's contact, you know. There's, it's, we've got everything. We're super fast game in the sevens, a more medium game in the tens. We've got 15s. We've got golden oldies. We've got – it's absolutely brilliant. And, sh- like, you're, you're, you're a parent as much as I am. Like, there's so many sports which just absolutely disrespect the authority of the sport. And rugby is one of those only sports that, as a team sport, there's only one guy on the field who has complete control, and that's the referee. And there's, you know, there's so many examples of like monstrous Evan Estevez type guys standing next to these referees and going, "Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Please forgive me, sir." Even last night's game, um, uh, Wales against um, Samoa. That Simone guy accidentally kicked the guy in the fa- in the face, and like obviously, someone kicks you in the face, you're going to be pretty fired up. But straight away, they're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, mate. You know, I'm I'm really really sorry. Like, you know, like." And the poor guy's got a red card for it, which is probably, which is right, you know. But between the players, there's no animosity. They clearly, you know, like they just they respect each other and move on. And like that for me is the greatest part of rugby. Like. You can go absolutely as hard as you can against your opposition. They'll appreciate you more for the hardness that you came at them with. And afterwards, you're cracking beers with each other or just a water or whatever it is, and you're backslapping and you're like, geez, man, that was a huge tackle or that was a great run or that was an epic kick or whatever it is. It's just like it's such a celebration of sport and, and, and wholesomeness that you don't find in many other sports like paddles. Paddles growing in the UAE, but it's only four people on a court. But it's everyone celebrates the great shots and the and the impresses off the backboard, and you know it's like it's it's a group celebration, and that's the stuff that sport should be. It shouldn't be about swearing at a ref and and getting in your opponent's face, and you know it's it's just unnecessary, and and I don't think rugby will ever go that way, which is why I love it so much. Yeah, I hope not, and it's always been one of the shining things for me is the respect element of it yeah um well oh, you you can't yeah. you can't buy that like you can't buy that respect like and it's <clears throat> we pushed it this last season the respect the referee respect the opposition respect and <clears throat> i've never heard a single person argue with me as to why you shouldn't respect it and that for me tells the answer like it's just universal you know yeah yeah and um, you, you mentioned it before, the super vets. Can you, can you? This is new, so can you tell me more about yeah, so, it? We don't know anything about that. It sounds great. It sounds so, like my company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's been, you know, since 
I'm going to go back here a little bit. So in, in 2017, 2018, we had a discussion and then it was barrel house, beavers, sharks, I think Elaine and maybe hurricanes. I can't, I can't, there were four or five clubs that came together and we said, look, premiership in division one or whatever they were called their premiership and championship or something were conference. Yeah. They were, they weren't catering to the, to the the rest of the rugby players that were here, and we and we said we need this like community club, social whatever you want to call it type league where we can get some of these super not like still competitive but non super competitive players out playing rugby, paying subs to clubs, helping getting sponsorship, all that type of stuff, and the community league was born, which has then built on to Division Two. Um, and Division Two last year, we 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 made it as a non-competitive league without without the the um pool. I mean, you know, results and table and that type of stuff. Which, at the end of the season, everyone said was fun, but it kind of we still need that edge. Like people want to play for something, so we said this year it'll be, you know, a proper league again with Division Two being competitive. But when you go to Dubai Sevens and you see the number of vets teams that turn up international vets and the golf vets and you ask what percentage of those players are playing rugby currently it's low it's like 15 or 20 percent so i'm like why isn't there a vets league and we've spoken about it a lot there's a lot of people who've said oh we need a vets league we need a vets league and again it requires a bit of doing and last year we had a um we had a, a conversation we were obviously barrel house is sponsored with uh not sponsored partnered with um the world legends 100 world legends and they said to us when they were coming over they said look we would love to do a, 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 a tennis side competition towards the end of your season just for vets like it's we, we don't want to see guys who are playing in the league we want to see vets playing rugby there can you help us do that and i was like definitely let's let's get a taste and we did the first trial game of vets was barrel house versus dragons and it probably was a little bit more competitive than we would have liked for the social bets, but it was brilliant. I I mean, for me, I played in that game and probably the last game of contact I'll play. And like, I mean, I got to play opposite Henry Paul, you know, huge international player and, and, you know, Paul Hart from Dragons, also a huge international player. Um, and yeah, we had a good crack at each other. Henry Paul palmed me off in the chest, left me with a bruise for a week that, were, that I was dead proud of. Um, Harty, you know, luckily didn't run at me. I got to play against Gareth from Dragons, who I've worked with for years in RCC and stuff, and it was just a cracking game. And then afterwards, we all went to the bar and had a hundred beers together. It was it was like that was for me it's one of the, the highlights dream, of, of rugby. Yeah, exactly. Like we had good. Like I, I think I'm pretty sure Dragons won by the number of tries scored, but both teams won by the total enjoyment that we had. You know, and that's and that's what SuperVets was born from. And we've got Bahrain Golden Oldies, who probably one of the great vets teams of the Middle East. We've got Jebel Ali Dragons with a great vets pedigree. Barrel House, with, we've got a good vets team. Um, Alain, they've got some epic vets players in there. They've got Manny, he's a Fijian boy, he's been around forever. And <coughs> Excuse me. If you're in the social vets group, you'll see some of the old pictures that he's been sharing of rugby back in the day. Like those are the legends of rugby that we want to be playing with. Even 
we're talking now the first tournament's going to be on the 7th of October. And we've got uh, old Uncle Festers coming back from Jebel Ali Dragons to have a game. Like, that's that's what the Vets rugby is. Like, it's not about winning a trophy or smashing a guy off the field or putting an injury on. We're going to play the golden oldie rules even where if you're a, a little bit, you know, softer or temperamental around the hips and the knees, you can wear pink pants or red pants and it means that you can't be tackled. It's just... just a catch and hold, and you're going to go down. Ah, and that's amazing. That, that's that's what we need. A little rule, yeah, like exactly. That. I I could I could put some boots on now. Then my wife would allow yeah, me exactly. to play. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to you know we we haven't made a hard and fast rule about what the what the the age group is, but we've called it the rule, and it says this is not a competition, but a set up the caters for older players who are on the sidelines and want to play appropriate opposition it's an ethos and not a hard rule ideally you're over 45 or you're over 40 and you aren't playing in league rugby or you're someone who's appropriate to play there you know there are younger guys who have injuries who can't run fast who you know just aren't going to get a gig they deserve to play rugby still and they're going to fit into that ethos that's what we want it has to be fun it has to be safe and it's about camaraderie and the beers after Winning is not the objective. Playing is. That's it. And and we've got six teams, it looks like, subscribed to the first round. And that's got to be – that's that's got to just prove the success of it. Like, guys want to play that. Like, we've got almost 100 players signing up to say, I want to play Vets rugby. Whereas if you'd asked me how many Vets play in rugby, you'd be like, well, how many Vets entered to buy seven? That's it. That's all there is, really. So – that for me is like I go back to as the stakeholders, we've got to offer the product that caters to these people. How do you see my as a vet? I would jump at this. My worry is I've done no training. You know, do players, the vets, is this a thing where they have to train for? You know, are, are they going to be training on a weekly basis or could you turn up and just go, you know, I'm going to have a little run out and see what happens? There's there's six teams, six clubs have put teams forward. Every single club has said, if there's anyone on the sidelines who wants to join in, we'll find a place for you. doesn't matter. Like if you said to me, Matt, I want to come and be a part of the first day, I'll be like, all I would say is Alex, turn up. Turn up in Sharjah on the 7th and we'll find somewhere to you. You could be playing with Exiles, you could be playing with Elaine. What you will be playing with is a bunch of legends. Like that's, that's the truth of it. And you're going to have a great crack. Obviously, there is a contact element to it. So I can't say that having done absolutely zero training is a great idea, but it's, but it's rolling subs. You can mark yourself as a player not to be tackled. You can, you can mitigate most of these things and the contact's going to be controlled. There's going to be, the idea is almost that the, the coaches from each team can report on the other team. If someone is like being too aggressive or too, too serious or too competitive or whatever, like, it's 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 going to be fairly self-policed, but that's the that's the idea behind it. And I would I would applaud someone like you turning up. Sharjah have said that they've got a couple of guys who are on the fringes. Um, Sharks, have, they've got you know they've got a few guys like it's there's there's people who want to they're all are older boys who want to play in an appropriate place, and that's what it is. It's not really about my club versus your club. It's about all of us just playing a bit of rugby together, and epic we're playing the first tournament if you want to call it a tournament at Sharjah 
like the original rugby field in the yeah. Middle East. It's hands down the best facility for after rugby there is. Straight from the rugby pitch into the pool, crack a cold beer. They're going to bring the big screen outside. Like the rugby's going to be, the World Cup's going to be on the big screen. I mean, cheapest beer in the country as well. Like it's, it's just, it's perfect. They're going to put a feed on. Like that for me is going back to the ethos of what the rugby is. More of that, please. Definitely. You know, like, yeah. And it just sounds fantastic. <laughs> My one more question about that would be what's, the legalities of it insurance wise because it's a, a an rcc uarf league every single player has to be registered and needs to be insured obviously with the group player insurance that we have your primary insurance your personal insurance is going to be take up majority of the cases and the group player insurance is for those people whose insurances wouldn't cover them for rugby so I would say for someone like you, if you wanted to play, you give you, you say to someone like me, hey, Matt, look, I want to go and play in the thing. Can I sign up to your policy and just have the peace of mind? And I'll be like, yeah, of course. It's, it's 450 dirhams plus VAT and you're guaranteed treatment at MediClinic for up to 100 grand's worth of injury. Like, I mean... And it's that's a no-brainer, right? Is that for a year? Is that the se- season, or is that one? Yeah, that's for the whole. That's that's for the whole season. Amazing. That is, yeah, and that's I mean, great. yeah, that's that's what you want, you know. Like it's, I'm sure you've got you've got your medical aid, and I'm sure there's especially the like most vets players have got good medical aid covered through their work, etc. So they probably don't need that, but for the peace of mind of just having it and. You know, it just gives you that that safety net that when you turn up at MediClinic, no matter what, you're getting treated and you're going to get fixed by the best in the business. That's what you want. Well, that sounds yeah. great. I, I'm like, I'm all all in on that and I, I want to push that out. Yeah, and I mean, you know, so the, the plan is at the moment is to have four or five competitions, call it a competition across the leagues or tournaments or whatever across the season. The first one being Sharjah. Jebel Ali have put up their hand toast another one. Alain have put up their hand toast another one. Bahrain have put up their hand toast another one. And Barrel House will, will host the last one. But I want to go back to the Bahrain one. Bahrain want to bring back the Midnight Tens, which for those that haven't heard about it, was, is a legendary old competition that was in competition back in the day with Dubai Sevens. And you would basically make your way to Bahrain and they would start the, the competition once everyone was there after work and you'd finish at midnight and then the party brunch would start and go all the way through to the next day. It, the midnight tens, midnight sevens is, is legendary. Like my, I remember my old man going back in the day and, and coming back to, to Elaine where we were living at the time and just saying, geez, what a good club they've got. What good fun. And that's it. That's what Bahrain wants to do. They want to host us. They want the boys, you know, ideally we can go there on a, Friday night after work, start late, play the game until midnight, and then go out and have a grand time in Bahrain. They've, they've, they've said, you know, if you want to bring tents and maybe sleep on the pitch, we could do that, but I'm pretty sure we'll all be in the Premier in there. Um, but that's the that's the vibe of it, you know? Like, we want to go and have fun. And for me, there's a small element of that is playing rugby. The rest of it's been on tour again, going to Bahrain, you know, having fines, you know all the all the all the stuff that goes with it is, is there, and it's going to be brilliant. I can't wait. And 
Then for the final tournament or series or whatever you want to call it of the season, it's going to be Barrel House and Hurricanes are going to host it at the Sevens. And we're going to have the 100 World Legends, this charity, come over. And they're going to, they're going to support the vets in that they want to, whatever structure we decide how to do it, two pools or whatever, they want to have a game of the Legends playing against these vets. Obviously, it's still going to be in the same ethos of social and, and you know, non-aggressive contact and all that type of stuff. Um, but a chance for you to play against, you know, some of these guys that you see on TV that are legends of the game. Like we had Frank Bunce here last week. I mean, Dafford James, there's Lee Mears is there, although he tells me he's not running anymore. You know, like we, we had Luther Burrell here last year. Like standing opposite those guys on a rugby field is just such a special experience. I mean, you see it in the World Cup, right? Like a team like Namibia plays against the All Blacks and they all swap jerseys afterwards. And obviously the Namibian jersey to the All Blacks is a, is a small memory. But for the Namibian players, it's the mm. hugest honour to take, you know, to take that jersey off of that player is such an incredible thing. So for me to think that I could stand up there against some ex-international idol of mine and then have a not only share the, the, the field with him, but then have a beer with him all evening afterwards. I mean, that's that's a dream come true. And, you know, part of that, and it's something that I actually want to wanted to push a little bit with you on the podcast is to raise awareness, like, these hundred world legends, they they're they're just simple blokes who were good at rugby. Like and all they want to do is give back to rugby. They want to come over here to Dubai. They want to get into your rugby clubs. They want to talk to your kids. They want to talk to your sponsors. They want to go out to and it's got nothing to do for their benefit. It's purely to help rugby get more in the limelight, to be a better product, to make it more attractive to sponsor, to make it just a better thing to be involved in. And you see the work that they do already with the with the charities here, Heroes of Hope, Al Jalila Foundation. Like they're they're active, and people respond to them. Like I don't know what it is. If you if you if you never played rugby and you see a rugby player, you're just like, oh my god, is that a is that you know like Thor walking past there? Is that is that an absolute you know monster human? Like how does that work? And that even when they're older, they're still incredible specimens. These guys and. The fact that I'll give you an idea of why I say it, how much they give back. So within the world legends is Aaron Persco, obviously who works with small blacks and Henry Paul now who's with hurricanes and they turn up for world legends ahead of everything else. Like they're, they're, you know, they've, they've got, they've got contracted things to do for their rugby clubs, but world legends takes precedence because they're there for the good. They're there for the benefit. They just want to see rugby be, loved by more people and that's what i love about them and so ahead of that i'll be saying to all the teams that want to play look we want to get these world legends out here they've got costs to get here all they want to do is cover those costs let's get our sponsors involved like if you've got a big sponsor and you want the emirs to come and do a team talk for you get him to do it like he will do it he will turn it and he will put it on that day believe me better than he ever did on the field um <laughs> and uh you know, like take advantage of it. Like all of us clubs have a right to these guys and access to these guys and they are fully willing to give it up. So let's use it. Let's take advantage of it and, and use it to make our rugby bigger. Yeah, it's a great course. And um, I, I did have a good chat with them uh, at the end of last season about, yeah. you know, push, pushing it more. And it's it's definitely, definitely going to be pushed more. And we're going to we'll do some interviews 
do some podcasts with them and, and get that message out. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's, the, you know, I watched a, an interview the other day and I think it was with Mike um, Catch from the English team and he was saying one of the big problems with the English support at the moment is that the RFU controls the access to the players. So you don't get, you don't get behind the scenes like, like, I don't know, is Farrell a vegetarian or not? I couldn't tell you, you know, like that type of a thing. Like you don't get that player access. Whereas take the Springboks, for example, they, when they went on their 2019 campaign, Supersport required them, we want access to your players. We want to build a documentary of your players. We want our nation to feel like they know who Bongi and Benangi is. They want to know who Stephen Kitsoff is. They want to know who these guys are, what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what do they do in their, in their free time. So that level of access is what creates the, the interest in the sport and it makes you be more personally vested, you know. Like that for me is the key and we've got access with these old players but we also need to incorporate it with access with our new players. I bet you might know because of your obviously closeness to the sport but could you tell me who the top five fly halves are, or rather the fly halves in the country for each team? Nah. No. <laughs> no. But I guarantee you, you could name the, 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 the fly halves for the top 10 international teams, but you wouldn't know your local teams. So that for yeah, me is yeah. part of the access. We've got to build that. And, you know, we, we're, trying to, we're trying to get a big league sponsor to, to help cover the cost of the league and West Asia Premiership, especially with the travel and that type of stuff. Yeah. And a lot of that... And it is expensive to, as well. It's super expensive. Yeah. I mean, you're looking 30 to 35 grand to go to Bahrain to go and play as a Premiership team. And now Doha has joined as well. So you've got that on top of it. And then it's reversed for them as well. So it's not cheap. It's not like it's cheap for them and expensive for us. It's expensive sport to be involved in for that travel aspect. So if we could get a sponsorship like Emirates, if you're listening Emirates, or Qatar Air, if you're listening Qatar, or someone who wants to do it and help us with airline flights, man, we will take you on. We will make you the league sponsor. We will brand you everywhere. You'll be the best branding in the world on the referee's chest because the referee is in picture at all times. Yeah. Um, like we, we'll push that forward. And, and, one of the things that we've decided is that we haven't been successful in attracting a big name sponsor like that because of the, I don't know, maybe our publicity level isn't that high. We're now going to try and centralize our streaming of all the games. So this season, you should see majority of the premiership games streamed on a single YouTube channel. You'll see hopefully 50% more, 50% or more of the division one streamed on a single YouTube channel. Some of the division two games will be streamed on a YouTube channel. Every single semi-final and final across all the age groups, whether you're under 11 or, you know, the Super Vets don't have a final, but or Division 2, you're going to be on, on YouTube and you're going to have your game televised to, you know, the, the incredible amount of viewers that we had last year. And the women's tournaments are going to be televised. Like all that type of stuff builds our product offering so that when we go to one of these big sponsors and they go, right, so you can offer us a place on your jersey. And you're like, yeah, we can offer you a place on the jersey, but we can also put you on TV in front of X number of viewers a year. And that's where they go, okay, so, all right, cool. So half a million dirhams, that's what you need to get the sponsorship to get this whole league off the ground. Yeah, okay, that's a much better number than the 50-odd people who come to watch you play rugby on a Saturday. Yeah. And, and, and you and, just and, touched and on that, that there with, with um, sorry, with 
bringing people down to the game, how can we get more people to come and watch rugby on the side? So part, so part of the awareness creates demand, right? So one of the reasons that the Rugby World Cup is so successful in a country like Dubai for all the bars and for all the, the restaurants that are putting it on is because they create awareness. They're putting out social media about come and watch the Africa push for the challenge, come and watch England take on you know Japan to guarantee their spot in the, in the quarterfinals. Come on. They're pushing that agenda out there to get people to their, to their place. But imagine we had bars that knew, all right, cool, on a Saturday, Arvo, all these games are going to be streamed on TV, so all we have to do is click on YouTube and it's going to come up and play for us. Then they suddenly are pushing, hey, come and watch Exiles Hurricanes Premiership grudge match. You know, like, come and, you know, see who Real draws first local blood rugby. Season. Yeah. And what will happen is you'll have <clears throat> those, I don't know, 10 Irish lads who are in McGettigans who've never watched a local game go, Jesus, that is good quality rugby. Like, these boys can play. Let's go. And, where, where's the next live game? Let's go, and, let's go and watch it. That's brilliant. And then suddenly you've got an extra 10 guys. And then that only has to happen 100 guys. And then suddenly we've got 1,000, 100 times. And suddenly we've got 1,000 people turning up at rugby games that weren't being touched before. And that, that for me, is what I think it's got to be. It's got to be about access and exposure. And truthfully, Alex, like if it wasn't for Yellow Rugby, and if we had to just rely on the local media for their reporting of, of what's happened in rugby here, what would you know? You wouldn't know anything. You wouldn't know who's like who's even playing or anything. Like Yellow Rugby is obviously the home of golf rugby, as you as you proudly pronounced, <laughs> and I believe it. And that's what I want to have. I want to have. I, I would love to see you with with player interviews, with player profiles. I want people to be able to go, yeah. You know, I read about Durant Gerber, who's now poaching the, the Sevens guys. I read about his 12 years of, of you know, unbelievable rugby in, in exiles and what he did, et cetera, et cetera. Now I really like the guy just from what I read about it. That's what, what's got to be. Obviously, your podcast has been incredible. I've learned so much about different players. Like, it's, it's, it's insightful. And that's what makes you develop an interest in turning up on the day to support these players. And it's... It's that sort of support that makes me do it. You know, I, I don't. There's, n I don't get any money for for having a yalla. And anything that does come along, I'll gladly take it. But the main reason why I do all of this is because I deep down I like I love rugby. I bleed rugby, and I know what's out here. You know, oh, I, mate, I know I'm... the quality of rugby. It's just it's I, like I love. I love rugby. Like rugby represents more about the goodness of life than any other thing that I've done. And there's a there's a philosophy in life is if you want to be a change agent, if you want to if you want to see something that you love be better and be more successful, you have to get involved. You have to put the effort into it. And I work in finance. There's pretty much zero I can do to change that. But my second hobby is fly fishing, and that's me against the fish. So there's only much, so much I can do with myself there, and then rugby. That's why I put into it. That's like I want to. I want to leave rugby better than when I arrived, um, and that's why I've always been involved. That's why I'm always vocal. That's why I always push it forward. You and I have had chats about how we could help arrange things and organize things. Um, 
I've had conversations with pretty much everyone involved with rugby about how to make it better. And there's there's a few things that, that I think UAE is uniquely positioned for and slightly detrimental to is that you guys have had a number of conversations with people on your podcast about the money in rugby now in Dubai and putting it back at grassroots level. And I think that whilst in a simple view, you're probably correct that some clubs are spending money to get good players to come and join their clubs from overseas. But from a complete holistic view, it's actually a different picture. We should all be doing that. You know, gone are the days where you as a parent are happy with another father or another mother being the coach of your children. You want professionals there. You want someone who's been trained and capable and experienced teaching your kids how to be a better sportsman. It doesn't matter what sport you're doing. That's what you want. That's why the Andre Agassi cricket uh, tennis t- camp is a success. That's You're not going there to get coached by Andre Agassi, but you're getting coached to go there to get coached by professionals. Um, so rugby is the same. And I'm not saying that there aren't dads out there who are excellent coaches. I'm just saying that parents, especially in Dubai, where they've got the higher disposable income, are looking for that. They want to have that edge. They want to see that professional player to come over and teach them. So when you've got a club that's capable of bringing over these ex-international stars to be part of their coaching or superb fringe players from South Africa or New Zealand or England or wherever they are who add to their coaching makeup, that's got to be celebrated. Like I look at Tigers and I know a lot of the, the community feels like Tigers is buying players and doing all that type of stuff. And what I can tell you Tigers have got is they've got unreal amounts of children that need coaching. So they need coaches. And no matter how big your club is, there's only a certain number of dads that are good enough to coach at that quantity of players. So then you need to actually hire people to come and play. So that's what Tiger's doing. That's what I do. That's what other clubs do is you have to hire coaches to come over and work for your academy. And they're part of your revenue stream for your club. They're not there to necessarily play rugby. That's like a fringe benefit. But they there to help coach your kids, which is actually the core and the main focus. That's the grassroots of the rugby. So when I see, like, I don't know, take their, some of their big Fijian boys that have come over and, or, and uh, sorry, Islander boys that have come over and joined Tigers from playing in France and playing overseas, they've come to Dubai. They're no longer playing professional rugby, but they still are ex-pro rugby players. They know how to be more professional. They know what a good setup is. They can just give expertise to their kids. That's the dream. And then as a sideline, Tigers men's rugby has improved so much because they've got these guys with a wealth of knowledge playing for them. No one begrudges, I don't know, some of these teams that have had ex-internationals turning up to play for them, even though they're there voluntarily. What's the difference between a guy who's, and but meanwhile they're working in construction, but what's the difference between a guy who's still committed to rugby and he's getting paid to be a coach and he's giving back to the kids and he's he's in schools and he's in camps and he's just pushing the rugby message constantly and then he also plays for your, your club team like that for me has got to be the dream right if we all had the massive revenue streams that big clubs have with their mini and youth we would all be able to employ more coaches at a higher level who are of playing age and therefore grow the rugby at the top whilst improving the bottom by having all of our younger kids be coached by the best, not just yeah. by the best available, 
but by the best. And it's it's you inspiring know? as well. You know, as a kid, I, I was grassroots rugby. You know, I was part of Newcastle Falcons and seeing, you know, around the ground, these heroes, it's like, wow, one day I'm going to get there. I, I, I want to be there. Yeah. Hundred percent. I remember my my dad played at Pirates in in South Africa for the latter part of his career, and it's one of the oldest rugby clubs in South Africa. I think it's coming up to one hundred and seventy years now or something. Um, and from under sixes all the way to the vets, like the men's first team was just the most heavily respected people. But then they were involved. They were coaching the under sixes and the under sevens and under eights, and it was. It was that community and it and it builds your whole buy-in is when you've got these epic marquee players at the top who draw people in to come and play rugby. Yeah. So whilst I I agree that we're still an amateur sport, I definitely agree that the investment the clubs are making in their coachings, in their facilities, in their overall media, everything, all those investments that people are making is only for the kids. Yes, it's great to go and win West Asia Premiership. Obviously, that's a dream come true. But the success is only good if you're sharing it with 700 kids underneath you. So I would argue against you guys about the money in rugby here. I would say if we can get a big name sponsor, let's celebrate that. Let's let more money flow into the coaches. Let's get even better coaches coming over. We've got in the UAE at the moment, we take a guy like Peter Stringer, for example, an incredible scrum half, right? Incredible. He could give a masterclass to any player in the world on how to be a better scrum half, okay? But there's not enough financial incentive for him as a man who has to take care of his family to be involved in rugby here. So he's doing his own training. He's got an F45 gym. He's doing all that type of stuff. But imagine we could have offered him as a man who was retiring out of the professional sport. Well, as a community, we could have said, mate, there's a place for you here as a league coach, as a whatever, whatever, and it pays a living wage that can help you to your family and you can still do some stuff on the side. Would you be interested? It, and then we had that level of brain coming into our brain trust and into our collective power. That you know, That's surely got to be what our ambition is. I look at all these guys who playing in the 2023 World Cup and I think, all of those guys need to be spending two to five years in Dubai on at the end of their career, giving back to rugby, earning some salary and making contacts here. Like, that's it's certainly what growing, I it isn't it? You know, I mean, we're, we're hearing more and more big names coming out here because, let's be honest, it's a great place to live. It's 100% great place to live. Tax, lifestyle, community. Like, I'd like to – people say to me all the time, well, have said to me all the time, you know, nearly 30 years ago, they're like, oh, but why would I go to Dubai? And I'll, and I'll say to them, why, why do you go on holiday to, <laughs> why do you go on holiday to Venice? Like, do you want to go and see something specific or do you want to go and do something? If you want to go and see something specific, only a specific place has that. But if you want to go and do something, you can do everything that you can do anywhere else in the world in Dubai. Yeah. Everything. And if someone can tell me something that you can't do in Dubai, I'll be surprised. <laughs> They'll make I, it. <laughs> I do fly. I fly fish, right? And people will tell me, but where do you fly fish in Dubai? I fly fish in the sea. And it's got one of the best fisheries in the world for queen fish in the world. And you fish in front of the Burj Al Arab. Like, it's got everything here. So, of course, we're going to attract these people. And, of course, we should be pushing them to come and join us and be part of this huge community of people who are good, 
wholesome, respectful people. That's that for me has got to be the objective of everyone, and it it doesn't actually matter which club you're in, you know. Yeah. Oh, look, I've got so much more that I could talk to you about, and I think we we'll probably need another podcast for that. But one last, the last thing, Alex. Sorry, yeah. the last thing that I would say that the UAE needs. So South Africa played um, New Zealand at Twickenham in the build-up to the World Cup, and the Barbarians play games around the world. We need to be hosting those games. 100%. That's where you're going to get your and then ha- and have an open day on the outside where every single club has got to stand and telling people about their clubs, and so that all the people who have no idea about how much rugby is in the UAE have to walk past these stands, get exposed to the clubs, and then they go in and they watch some epic international rugby. Surely that's got to be you know at the sevens. If you're listening to this, give me a shout. I'm keen for that. Yeah, let's let's make that happen like this season. Let's get a big game going. Yeah, 100%. And that's what the World Legends want to do, you know? And, you know, that's the first start is these guys playing with our players and then it builds into them playing against other World Legends and, and it builds and builds and builds. Um, right, last one probably that we've got time for. The the new tackle height, what can you or what do you need to tell people about that? It's interesting. When you actually look at the numbers of concussions in rugby, when you move... When you remove head-on-head collision, concussion rates plummet, plummet. And with the old tackle height of being shoulder height, as I'm looking at you on the camera, you can see, the area for error is tiny. You're one or two centimeters away from your from your arm slipping up above and cracking someone in the head. And then it's close to head-on-head. If you lower it to here, you've got 30 centimeters between the error zone and where your actual contact is. And that's that's the purpose. AP was, when I had the discussion with him earlier, and, and that's when England had said, oh, we're going to lower it to waist height. He was like, that removes some of the ability to stop the ball in contact. That removes like that quite a lot of the aggression at the contact. And we discussed the length. And then now looking at it, sternum's the perfect height. Like you can still stop a player dead in his tracks. You can still trap a ball from being passed there. It removes whilst it doesn't completely remove, it mitigates the chances of your arm slipping up over and clipping someone around the head. It's also lowering your head, literally a head space away from their head. And it shouldn't really change the game. The people who are going to be struggling to to deal with it are people like me who are used to tackling straight up and down, chest on chest and stopping people because then your head is in the collision zone. And as a person who's experienced the number of heads to the face at that collision zone, I can say that probably should have been trained to tackle lower. And that's what's going to happen. And thanks to Eugene and all the refs, they've pushed their availability to be available to any club, any age group, to come and take them through what the referees are going to be looking for. They want to push safety in rugby. And I think that's only for the benefit of all of us. Yeah, if anyone out there is listening to this and you want to get some perspective from the referees, please reach out to Eugene. And he will he will come down with his top refs and they will take you through the referee's picture as to what they want to see when a tackle's made. Brilliant. Well, on that note, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your continuous support of rugby. I hope the rest of the UAE appreciates how much graft you put into it and how much you give to let people know more about rugby here. And I can only support you and thank you. Oh, thanks, mate. As long as I can keep doing this, I'll, I'll still be here. <laughs>